All right, well, let's dive in together. We start a, a new little Christmas series, a little Advent series I'm excited about. Um, just to give you just a quick uh, uh, kind of sneak peek as to where we're going. Uh, when Jesus uh, came, um, he fulfilled a lot of prophecies, and he fulfilled a lot of roles and things that we uh, may not always realize. Um, three of those, um, that he actually fulfilled three different offices. Um, that of prophet, priest, and king. So in the next three weeks, we're going to look at how he fulfilled all of those. Um, so that's where we're going to be at today. So just so you know, um, as a kid, you long for Christmas to come. And it, as a kid, it always seems like it's going to take forever. It always seems like uh, you're always waiting, and uh, even when the Christmas season comes, and, and you're a kid, and it's like you've watched one billion Christmas movies. You've watched the Grinch animated version, the old animated version, 100,000 times, and you've sung jung- jingle bells, and uh, you've gone to see the Christmas lights, and you've done all this, and it seems when, when you're a kid, it seems like Christmas season lasts for a year in and of itself as you are waiting finally for Christmas to come and the excitement and the magic enjoy that it brings and finally the day does come and it is as magical as you imagined it would be and you celebrate with your family and you open gifts and you uh maybe sing happy birthday to jesus and you open stockings and you have dinner together with your family and 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 it's wonderful and you enjoy it and it's so good and then it's over but the countdown begins again, and you begin to count down to Christmas next year. Some people go as far as I've seen people, you know, post on January 1st, 365 days till Christmas, or in June, they're thinking about it, and they're like, you know, however, for 150 days till Christmas or whatever it is. You know, we have the great privilege of celebrating Christmas year after year after year. But for thousands and thousands of years, People, there was this longing for the day. They didn't know it was going to be called Christmas. They didn't know really what it was like. But for all the things that Christmas entailed, all the things that Christmas brought, they were longing for that magical day to finally come, where all of the promises and, and hopes and longings would finally be fulfilled. And for generation after generation after generations, families would tell their children of this day that was to come to look forward and long for this day that would come. But they didn't have to just wait a year. They waited hundreds, thousands of years. I think for a lot of us, we take for granted this idea, this longing of Advent, this the season that we're supposed to be anticipating. We take it for granted because for our whole lives, whenever we came to know Christ, we have known the Christ to whom Christmas points. And so it is difficult for us, I think, to get into the shoes of the people who have, who for so long longed expectantly for Christ to come and all that would entail. So what we're going to do is try to take a step back, try to get back into the shoes of those who longed for the coming of Jesus. Um, And we're going to look at the longings that Jesus would fulfill. So let's look at this first one. Um, Communication. Communication is this ability to use words and express feelings and knowledge and and emotion. It it is one of the things that separate us from animals, uh, that we we have the ability to communicate, right? Um, It is this aspect of us uh, that that even we are creating the image of God, right? The the ability to communicate. One of the interesting things is in, in the rise of social media, 
um, we have been able to keep up with many people in our lives from, you know, from our childhood, from people we haven't seen in 30 years, people from high school or college, people who live in states where we used to live and we've moved away. And, and we see them post pictures and life updates and statuses. And, and we feel like we're basically connected to them and know them and know how they're doing. But in reality, though we know all these facts about their life that they post, we're not connected to them in any real serious way. See, without communication, without words, there is no real relationship, only the shadow of a faded one. Relationships are dependent upon communication. It is the basis and the substance of relationships. And so, and so because of that, when God created the world uh, and he created humanity in his image, what do we find? Not a God who keeps up with his people over social media. Not a God who calls every now and again uh, when he finds the time. Not a God who sends angels to pass along messages to his people. Not a God who yells down from the clouds, Adam, everything going all right? Okay, cool. But a God who walks in the cool of the day, who walks and talks with Adam and Eve, having a relationship with them and living with them, physically communicating with them daily. It was perfect. And since it was perfect, God was physically there, living, talking with them in this perfect relationship. See, this is one of, that is one of the tragic things about Genesis chapter three, the next chapter. That when God's people betrayed him, rebelled against him, and broke the relationship between them and God, humanity had to leave the garden, right? They were kicked out of the garden. They had to leave the presence of God. And now, amongst all of the other tragedies that that brought, now the people of God can no longer walk with and talk with God, and the relationship is severed and broken. And so now you have Adam and Eve outside of the garden, alone, disconnected from their creator, and really no way to reach him. Over the next few thousand years, God would speak to his people but never in the same way, never like it was before. Now there was distance. You see, God would speak to his people through prophets. God would speak to his people through prophets. The people of God eventually uh, would get some books of the Bible. They'd get the first five books, and then it was a long time before they started getting some of the other ones. Imagine living as the people of God, and the only way that you hear from God is when some guy, usually probably some crazy looking guy, comes out of nowhere and begins to tell you what God is saying, what God thinks, what God wants you to do. That God would send prophets. Imagine living as the people of God and some guy comes around and he starts preaching. He says, we need to move over there. God says we've got to go over there. Or God says we need to go and take those people out and take the promised land. Or we need to stop doing this or stop doing that. And we need to start doing this and start doing that. And, 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 and then that's the only way that you really hear from God. And then the problem becomes not just, okay, well, let's listen to this crazy God. Tell us what God says we ought to do. Because if God's saying we should do that, we should do it. But the next problem becomes, what if it's fake? What if he's a fake? What if he's a fraud? What if this guy who is telling us what God is saying is actually a false prophet and he's just making these things up for his own interests? How do we trust him? How do we know? How do we know if God really said this? How do you know the true prophets from the false prophets? 
When they both come and they say, thus says the Lord your God, how do you know which ones are right or wrong? How can you have a relationship with God when the only way you hear from him is through prophets that come every so often? And how do you have a relationship with God when you don't even know which prophets to trust and which ones not to? You see, false prophets in the past have led to all kinds of uh, problems. They've led to uh, the worship of false gods and idols. They've led to doing things that God actually opposes, like child sacrifice. They've led to the rise of false religions like Mormonism. And still today, in 2020, there are false prophets. There are people writing books claiming to have uh, heard a vision from God, a dream from God, or people who have went into comas or, or died on the table saying that they went to heaven and they came back to uh, write a best-selling book telling us all about what they saw and what God says. You have people in charismatic circles who all of a sudden get a word and they think that they can tell you, oh, uh, God has told me to tell you this, that you need to do A, B, or C. Or, uh, you know, any, or the, you know, you'll have worship leaders on the stage uh, say, you know what, I just got a word from God and there's someone out here in the audience right now and, and they've got uh, uh, you know, this, this problem in their life and God wants you to know, da, 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 da. Don't mistake it. They are claiming to be prophetic, claiming to reveal special truth directly from God. And I think the reason those books are best-selling books, the reason Mormonism is a thing, the reason we believe false prophets is because we long for the thing that they claim to have. They have the words of God. and We want so desperately to believe it. We all want uh, God to send us personal messages. We all want secret knowledge of the divine. We all want secret revelations. We want God to speak to us as clear as day and to give us a vision or a dream or a sign to, to write it in the clouds. We want to hear from God. We want to know that he sees us and we want, we want him to speak to us. We want a relationship with God. We want this because we were created that in our DNA, on its most basic level, our deepest desire is to be connected to our creator, to have a relationship with God. And that relationship requires communication. We long to know what he thinks and what he says and what he wants us to do. And so we are so often duped into believing false prophets and their messages because we want to hear from God. For thousands of years, thousands of years, God's people had to settle from hearing from God through a prophet that would come every hundred years or so. Now, hearing from God through a prophet was better than nothing, right? Like, once you know which prophets to believe, hearing from a prophet was better than nothing. There was good things about the prophets. Even, uh, even if what they were offering was incomplete and lacking what we really needed, it was good. God was choosing to speak to his people. So that was good. The prophets did a couple things. The prophets, when they spoke, they spoke the very words of God. Okay, I understand that prophets spoke the very words of God. When the prophets spoke to God's people, they spoke, uh, and, and when they said, they would say this phrase, and when you read the Bible, you see this phrase a lot, like in Isaiah or Jeremiah, all over the place. They'll say, thus says the Lord. And so when Isaiah comes and he says, thus says the Lord your God, 
He is saying, this is not me. This is not my opinion. This is what God says. And here it is. Meaning that the people of God, that the prophets are relaying the very words of God. This wasn't a preacher's opinion or, or a thought that he had. It wasn't his interpretation. It was the very words of God spoken through the mouth of the prophet. So when the prophet says, thus says the Lord, the idea was you better listen up because God was speaking. But also, the prophets gave, not only did they speak the words of God, but they gave instructions. The prophets were able to give clear instructions uh, to God's people about what, what he wanted them to do. Right? He was able uh, to say, hey, I'm going to commission you guys to go build a tabernacle, build a temple, and this is how you're going to do it. And he could give exact instructions. When God was ready for them to move into the promised land, he was able to tell them, this is how you're going to take out your enemies. Even if it sounds crazy to go march around Jericho seven times and then blow some horns. Okay, God said to do it, so we're going to do it. And hey, it worked. And so obedience to God's instructions always resulted in blessing and prophets would come to point the people, say, hey, this is what God wants us to do and this is what he doesn't want us to do. So they could give clear instructions from God about what we are to do. The third thing, prophets, they foretold the future. Though, ironically, future telling was not uh, a prophet's primary function. Uh, But it's often what we think most about when we think about prophets. We think that they came and, and, and told the future. Um, and they, though they do that, that's not what they most often do, but they do do it. Um, though they would foretell short-term events sometimes, uh, most of their prophecies were concerning the Messiah and the day of the Lord that was to come. Um, though, interestingly enough, though they foretold the coming of the Messiah, they themselves did not really understand what that coming would look like. It's not like Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of these, or Daniel, any of these prophets as they prophesied really had a clear picture and could see like the future perfectly. And, oh, yeah, see exactly how it's going to happen. No, they, they, they had these visions or these pictures and they kind of understood, they, they kind of knew and they, and they communicated what they saw or what God told them to say. But they didn't understand fully what it would look like. You know, Isaiah, when he prophesies about the Messiah, and in one point he talks about the lamb led to the slaughter. And then at one point he talks about how the lion would lay down with the lamb. He knew that these things would happen. He believed that they would happen, but he didn't even understand that there were going to be two comings of Jesus. One where he would come and suffer and one where he would come to make all things right. And so while the prophets foretold the future, they often spoke of things that they did not understand. They were just telling what God showed or told them. Fourth, prophets spoke indictments or judgments. And honestly, this was kind of the primary thing that they did. Um, uh, Was to relay God's indictments, rebukes, and judgment on his people and on other nations. All of the minor prophets in the Bible, are based. this is basically what they do. They come in and, and uh, give indictments and judgment. And when I say minor prophet, what that means is not that they're not as important as the other prophets. A minor prophet just means the book is smaller than the other ones. And so think of like Jonah. Jonah is commissioned by God to go to Nineveh, to go and declare God's judgment on Nineveh because they were a wicked city. And so he goes to, to tell them that God's going to wipe them off the face of the earth because of their sin. And so, so these prophets would come and tell us 
what was wrong, what God was saying was sinful. He was, he, uh, the prophets come throughout the Bible to tell God's people to stop worshiping idols. Like again and again and again, it's like God has to send another prophet. Would you please stop worshiping the golden cow? right? Just stop worshiping these statues that you've made. How many times do I have to send another prophet to tell you to stop making statues and worshiping? That's not your God. I'm your God. And so again and again, they would have to bring these corrections. But not only did they declare judgment and call out God's people for their sin, but the prophets pointed to God's mercy. So not only did they speak of judgment, but of mercy. Jonah, the reason Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is not because he doesn't want to go tell the Ninevites, hey, guess what, guys? In 40 days, God is going to wipe you guys out. No, he was excited about that part because Jonah did not like the Ninevites and he wanted God to destroy them. The reason Jonah flees and doesn't go to Nineveh is because he knows that God is a God of mercy. And if Jonah warns them of God's impending destruction and judgment on them, he knows that if the Ninevites choose to repent and trust in God, that God would relent of the disaster he was going to bring on them and show them mercy. And Jonah didn't want that. The bad prophet. See, the prophets pointed to God's mercy. The prophets pointed to the kindness and love and forgiveness that God freely offered. God doesn't have, uh, God doesn't have to do any of this. God never had to send a prophet. He was under no obligation to act. But in God's kindness, even though we could no longer walk with him in this perfect garden paradise, in his kindness, he chose to send prophets so that he could still communicate and still have a relationship with us. But it wasn't the same, and it wasn't enough, the broken system that kept us and God alienated from one another. So what does God do? But when the first Christmas finally came, when he sent Jesus, he sent a final prophet, the true and better prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. We often talk about how Jesus was not just a prophet because to be, to be certain, he is much more than a prophet. But he is a prophet. He was the prophet to which all other prophets point. Hebrews 1.1 is an important verse and it says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, for centuries, God had been speaking to his people through the prophets, but now he has spoken in his son. The phrase, he has spoken, the idea in the Greek is, is, is a lot deeper, and the idea is that he has spoken means fully and finally. That in Jesus, our true prophet, we have the full revelation revealing of who God is to his people. In Jesus, we know everything that we need to know about God, everything we need to know about how to follow God, everything we need to know about how to know God, everything that we need to know for life and godliness. In Jesus, God has fully revealed himself. It is a revelation that is full and final. In Jesus, God has fully revealed himself. Jesus is the prophet that fully 
reveals to us who God is. And so, he has revealed himself because he is not just a prophet echoing the words God told him to say. See, Jesus is God in the flesh, right? Fully God, fully man, Emmanuel, he is God with us, come to tell us not about God, but about himself. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Notice how John describes Jesus, not simply as God in the flesh, but he describes Jesus as the word become flesh. Jesus is the voice of God. He is the mouthpiece of God. Jesus is himself the very words of God embodied in flesh. God's words no longer relayed to us through a prophet. No, God's word comes himself in flesh. Jesus speaks the words of God because he is the word of God. Second, we we no longer have to wait around for a prophet to give us instructions on how to live or what to do or how to connect to God or how to live from. We don't have to wait around for a prophet to do that. Jesus, as our true prophet, has told us very clearly how we are to live. We don't have to wonder about what God wants us to do. We don't have to wonder about what direction God wants us to take. He has made it very plain and very clear. He wants us to believe and trust in his son and his death and in his his resurrection. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to love our neighbors. He wants us to be generous. He wants us to care for the poor. He wants us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Children, he wants you to obey your parents. And on and on it goes. It is not hard to know what Jesus wants from us. It is only hard to do it. But Jesus, as our prophet, has made it very clear what he expects of us, what he wants us to do, and and how we can know him, and how to live for him, and how to connect to him. Jesus has given us clear instructions on how to know him and follow him, which is good news. Like a prophet, Jesus also foretold the future, right? He predicted tons of small little things like uh, Judas's betrayal. Uh, he predicted that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. He predicted the destruction of the temple and that he would rebuild it in three days. He could predict the future, not because God gave him a vision of what would happen. He could predict the future. He could tell us the future because he himself was the one who wrote it. And the most important thing that Jesus ever predicted, he predicted over and over and over and over again, and even uh, even no matter how many times he predicted it, no one caught on, was the prediction of his own death, was the foretelling of his own death. He told his disciples again and again that he had to die, that he would die. And his disciples never understood it. They thought that he was kidding or that... Maybe it had, a, it had a deeper meaning. Or they just didn't believe him. But Jesus rightly predicted or told his own death. And not only his own death, but he predicted his own resurrection from the dead. Every other prophet spoke of a future that they did not quite understand. 
futures that they themselves had to interpret, visions that were blurry, visions that didn't quite make sense, but they just wrote what they thought they understood. But Jesus, when he foretells the future, spoke with certainty and clarity. He would die in Jerusalem over the Passover and rise again on the third day. Jesus knew this future. Jesus knew this would happen because it was the very reason that he came. Not just to speak the words of God to us, though he did come for that, but to restore us to God so that we could know God and his word more deeply. So that he could restore the relationship that was broken by our rebellion in the garden. Jesus foretold the future that would deliver us. But Jesus also functions like the other prophets in that he brings indictments and rebukes and judgment and called people to repentance. One of the reasons that the religious leaders of the day hated Jesus was because Jesus was always correcting them. And from their view, Jesus was this uneducated carpenter from from Nazareth, from Galilee. And nothing good comes from Galilee, they thought. And so who is this guy to correct them? Jesus told them that they were thinking wrong, that they were doing wrong. He told them that the way to know God was through faith alone, not through works. And the religious people didn't like that. But a part of Jesus' role as prophet is to help us course correct. Part of Jesus' role as our prophet is to correct us when we are off target. He redirects us back to him. Like a GPS, when you take the wrong turn and it says recalculating. It's like you got off the route and now I need to bring you back. Jesus sends us correction so that we can turn back to him. But the problem is we don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like being told we are in the wrong. We like to think that we're always in the right and we don't do anything seriously. Wrong that needs that much course correction. But hear me, church. It is good. It is good. It is the kindness of Jesus to point out our failures and our faults. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. But it is, it is the kindness of Jesus to expose our failures and faults where we're not living for him, where we're not thinking correctly or rightly. And he points us in the right direction. If it were not for Jesus exposing our faults, exposing our failures and our sin, we would have no reason to repent. And without repentance and faith, there is no salvation. Jesus calling us out for our sin is a gift of grace. He did not have to offer us. And so we should receive correction with gladness and thanksgiving. Jesus is the prophet we need to remind us that we are like Adam in his rebellion against God. And we need to turn our lives back to God Again and again and again and again and again and again. I could go for a while. We need to turn our lives back to him over and over because we're always, always getting off course and Jesus is always pointing us back to where we need to be. And it's a good that he does that so that we can course correct and we can follow God and give our lives to him. Now, while the prophets of old would point to God's mercy and forgiveness, that's really as far as they could go. They knew how to get it, or, and they knew that God was merciful, that he could choose to be merciful. 
They knew that if you repented, if you sacrificed an animal, they knew if you believed that God could be merciful. And so they could point to his mercy and say, those are the things that you should do. But Jesus does something radical that no prophet before him ever did or ever could do. Several times throughout the gospel accounts when Jesus would meet somebody who placed their faith in him, Jesus would look at them. Not only would he heal their, their paralysis or heal their leprosy, but when they placed their faith in him, Jesus would look at them and he would say, and your sins are forgiven. No prophet before him could declare someone's sins forgiven. That is something only God himself could do. Jesus could do it. He could declare sins forgiven. Not only because he was God, but because he came with a mission that no other prophet could ever hope to accomplish. Jesus came not just to speak the words of God to us, he came to fulfill the words of God spoken by all the prophets before him. By giving his life as a sacrifice for sin, he would reconcile us back to himself so that you and I could once again walk with God, talk with God, have a relationship with God that we were always meant to have but had lost. Jesus came proclaiming this simple yet profound truth from John chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No prophet before him could ever say that. No prophet could ever claim to be the one to find the Father through him. You see, the path back to a relationship with God goes through Jesus and him alone. And while when we place our faith in Christ, our relationship with God is restored, like those who came before, we are waiting. We're awaiting a second coming. We are awaiting the consummation of all things. We are awaiting for the promises and the words that Jesus prophesied to come true. We are awaiting the fulfillment of his resurrection from the dead. That he would raise the rest of this world from its curse and from the death. That he would make all things new. And that one day, we wouldn't just have to know God from a distance. Even though our relationship has been restored, we would be able to walk with him in the cool of the day. We would be able to talk with him, to climb up on his lap, to hug his neck, and to be with him always. And a new creation. We, like the people before us, are awaiting that day. And for generation after generation after generation, we tell our children, who tell their children, who tell their children, that one day the Savior will return. And he will do what he said. Not only will he raise himself to new life, but he will raise all of us and he will fix this world. But as we await that day when he comes again, we have something better than prophets of old to get us through. We have something better than prophets coming and telling us what God says. We have the very words of Christ himself who reveals to us who God is. All we need to know, to know him, to follow him, to enjoy him until we get, until that day that is coming when we get him in full. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
We don't need to look for signs in the clouds. We don't need to await for preachers or prophets to bring us a thus says the Lord. Uh, we don't need for people to bring a word to us. We don't need a best-selling book to, t- to reveal to us the secrets of heaven. We have the full and final revelation of God in the palm of our hand. If you open the book, you will hear God's words spoken directly to you. Read it as we await that great day for his return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent us a prophet, the prophet of prophets, your very own son, who is the word made flesh. We're thankful for when he corrects us. We're thankful for the things he prophesied. We're thankful that he spoke your words to us. We're thankful that he pointed us to grace and mercy. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the longing that this season reminds us of that there is a great day coming when our relationship with God will be finally made whole. Thank you for our church. Thank you for your son. In Christ's name we pray.